listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast. Here are your hosts, Ben and Garth. Hello, I am Ben Calcaterra, and I am here with Garth Reynolds, and we are here to bring you the first live episode of Illinois Farm Talk with a live studio audience. Brought to you by the Illinois Pharmacists Association. Hello, Garth. Hello, Ben. And hello, Chicago. How's everybody doing out there? So we are here at the 2018 IPHA Annual Conference in Lombard, Illinois. And so far, it's been a pretty good conference. Wouldn't you think so, Garth? I absolutely think so. We've had a um, great engaging programs this morning and started off yesterday with a wonderful pre-conference on pain management brought to, brought to you by our esteemed faculty and um, had a fundraiser event with the uh, IPHA Foundation, which was very successful. And we appreciate everyone attending last night. Uh, so, Garth, let's just jump right into some legislative issues for a moment. We're almost in October, and that means that we only have a little over a month before legislators return for veto session. We all know that veto session is that moment that the legislators come back from their break, and it's fast and furious. We only have six days coming up in November to push any lingering legislation through. So what's on our agenda for those, uh, those coming days the next month? The, mainly two bills, and really one bill, and that's House Bill 3479. As most of you are fully aware, um, we are continuing to be embattled on the managed Medicaid front and trying to not only preserve patient access within the state, but making sure that we have a sustainable network of pharmacies that are being continually abused by the current pharmacy benefit manager network. And with House Bill 3479, as you may remember from earlier episodes of Farm Talk and uh, communications of, of the association, we have um, changed that focus of that bill significantly. It started out as a fair reimbursement um, bill where we were looking at trying to get a fair and reasonable reimbursement rate, not only on the product dispensing, but also on the dispensing fee itself. And so, as you recall, with how um, the managed Medicaid program shifted, 80% of the managed Medicaid population, uh, the managed, uh, the Medicaid population is in managed care right now. So only 20% remain in traditional Medicaid or fee-for-service. So in that, the, the department's goal is to make that 100%. And right now, as we've known traditionally, Illinois fee-for-service Medicaid has not been the best. It's one of the worst reimbursement rates in the country. But we're, the managed Medicaid reimbursements are so pathetically low, we were wanting to go back just to fee-for-service just to keep some level of sanity and stability in the program. So that's where we started with the very first versions of House Bill 3479. And as we continued with negotiation and getting a movement on the bill, um, Representative Feigenholtz from up here in Chicago, she helped um, take that bill by the bullhorns and take it out of committee with our testimony. And then she drove it within 24 hours right through the House with a veto-proof majority. And with her leadership and just testing the waters in the House and knowing how that um, knowing how that would play, she knew when to be able to pull the trigger on the bill. Now, once we got into the Senate, we knew we would start to face significant negotiations and compromises. We tried to come to a more um, realistic version of the bill. 
uh, and, and that's where Senator Annie Menard came in and is shown to be a true um, advocate for pharmacy and a champion for our causes, when, especially with the abuses being put upon pharmacies. And what he's concerned also in addition is the, is the abuse of taxpayer dollars that are, that are being squandered by the pharmacy benefit managers. So we put in Senate amendments two, three, four, and five and um, have settled on Senate Amendment 5. And Senate Amendment 5 is the current vehicle of the bill. And what that entails is we have, um, it's a openness, openness, transparency, and access um, bill. So it would actually create a uh, pharmacy benefit manager registration, require them to be registered under the Department of Insurance. They would have to provide numerous data sets of how they are processing prescriptions and how the money is flowing from the managed care organization through, to, to, through the pharmacy and then back and reporting that data not only for the managed Medicaid program but also for the state employee program as well. So he's concerned because if we're having this much mismanagement in the managed Medicaid program, it has to be umbrelling over to the state employee program as well. And as if, if you remember back in January, the Illinois Auditor General issued a report saying that just in 2016 alone, the state, the state Department of Healthcare and Family Services, which is Medicaid, mishandled $7 billion in payments to the managed Medicaid organizations and ultimately to the pharmacy benefit managers. And there was a not a lot of there was a lot of questions being asked by specifically the House Appropriations Committee chaired by Representative Greg Harris. But the department continued to skirt around a lot of the issues and how that impacted pharmacy of that $7 billion. So where we're at with the current vehicle with House Bill 3479, it did get out of the Senate committee and that's where it sets right now in the Senate. Now remember, with being past May 31st was the last regular session day for this calendar year. So technically it goes back to Senate assignments, which can easily be pulled right to the floor um, during veto session. We may not have to go back to committee, um, but we know that there was an open promise for continued discussions and negotiations. We have had continued meetings over the interim and we're not much further along than where we started back in May, uh, or we left it off in May. We've come to some agreement on some of the ancillary issues, but not the core issues with the, the reimbursement, the, the validity of the data, and where the spread is, and how taxpayer dollars are being utilized. So we're going to be continuing to push the current version of House Bill 3479. There may be an additional amendments as we get closer, but that's at least where we're at right at the moment is that Senate Amendment 5 is the bill. And that's where this is going to become extremely important. And the reason I went through all of that timeline is we have less than 40 days to veto session. And starting on Monday is October 1st. And as we all know, October is American Pharmacist Month. And we celebrate our profession that entire month. And this is going to be a year we're going to need to use that rallying flag to protect the profession. As you know, how pharmacies are being impacted, we have had pharmacies that have closed since we've entered this fiscal year, since July 1. 
We've had at least five pharmacies close around the state, and we know of a number of pharmacies that are not going to make it through the calendar year. So this is not just time to make a phone call or do an email. We've asked you to do that, and there's going to be times for that as we go forward between now and veto session. But we need each and every one of you to take the next step. And the next step is bringing your legislator into your pharmacy. The, the times that we have brought legislators into the pharmacy where they're behind the counter and they're seeing the actual claims data and they're seeing how below your acquisition cost that you're getting reimbursed by the, the pharmacy benefit managers is having a significant impact. Every legislator we've brought in, we've been able to turn on our side. And we need each and every one of you to do that between now and November um, 13th, which is the first day of veto session. Now remember, we this is going to be a very interesting veto session. We have election day the Tuesday prior. We may have a re-election of a governor at that point, or we may be a new governor may be named. The polls are showing we're all over the place. It is not decided yet. We have about 28 members of the House that are not coming back for re-election, mainly Republicans, but also a lot of Democrats. There's a lot of friends of ours that are in that list, but there's also a lot of foes in that list. But after Election Day, in these last six days of their legislative session, they are not going, they're not beholden to anyone. They're not beholden to their party and they're not beholden to their constituents. So it's going to be a little bit of a wild, a wild card with where some people may fall on this and this really could play to our advantage. Now, remember I said we got it out of the House. It's in the Senate, but because we're working with amendments now in the Senate and we're gonna get it through the Senate, it's gotta go back to the House. So we still have to, in six days, get it out of the Senate, get it in the House committee, and onto the floor. And that can move pretty quick in veto session, but we can't have many major delays at the beginning of veto session for us to be successful in getting it through in the six days. So we're continuing to work with Senate leadership, both on the Republican and the Democratic side, to help answer a lot of their outstanding questions. And we're going to be working the polls very hard. Um, Fidelity Consulting, you know, as you know, Brian, Brian Daly and Donnie Storino, who are um, contracted lobbyists, um, are helping us with our strategy, along with the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, IPC. Um, for those of you who are IPC stores, you need to make sure that you're thanking IPC for their support. Also, stores that are involved with APCI. APCI is continuing to bring in strategic support for this effort. Um, we're working very, very closely with NCPA on the state, with their state affairs team to make sure that their attorneys are looking at, and we had Matt Magner, who's their main attorney, come and testify on behalf of NCPA back in May. And Matt's been very um, integral in looking at what we're looking at for any changes in language to make sure that we still achieve what we want in the bill. So this is not just an IPHA effort. We've also got a, a, a dedicated group of independent pharmacy owners that have um, put money onto the table to help support these efforts as well. 
and with, in addition with the IPHA membership um, and leadership uh, with the board of directors and with our legislative and, and um, regulate, regulatory committee. This is a all hands on deck effort. We've talked about, we've had serious situations before. This eclipses everything that we've ever dealt with before. As you know, we've battled Medicaid for decades. We, are, we have had major successes from March into May that we've, this year, that we've had over the last 20 years combined. And this is a major effort that is going to be at the lifeblood of a lot of pharmacy practices and whether they're here next year or not. This managed Medicaid program, as we've seen in Ohio, we've seen in Arkansas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Kentucky, have all shown abuses by looking at data. And that's one of the next things that we're working on. We're actually working with the individual team, the, the team that pulled the data together in Ohio to start pulling claims data to show that the same situation is going on here. Some of these sample data that we have been um, uh, shown actually shows that it could be a worse scenario than what Ohio saw. But as we continue to have more pharmacies um, submitting data, we will be able to, to be able to pull back the curtain completely on this situation. So I know we've got a lot of asks for you. If you can help ride this out, this you know American Pharmacist Month, to make it Illinois Pharmacist Month, so we can pull back this curtain on the abuser that is hurting us, hurting our manufacturing partners, and ultimately hurting our patients. And that's where we're gonna to need to make sure that we're driving that home with the legislators. This is hurting their communities, and this is hurting their constituents. So that's kind of the short run of it. So it sounds like what Garth's saying is we need to just go ahead and put vacation time in now for those two weeks in November. So we're all ready to take that drive to Springfield because we're going to need all hands on deck. Yes. Uh, you know, fast and furious is what I keep saying about those two weeks, but it, it really is going to be um, a lot of small tasks put into one gargantuan task. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to, like you said, go through the Senate. Mm -hmm get that pushed, go back to the House, which we haven't really focused on the House for a while, so we're going to have to revisit some of those contacts, and may as well start now, because uh, come those few days in November, we're not going to have a lot of time, so we need to be prepared. Um, you know, you mentioned the Illinois Auditor's General report and the mismanaged funds with the state. You know, if you put that in perspective with what's going on in Ohio and their claims data, do you think that we can finally get them to pay attention to the Auditor General's report? Because we brought it up before, and it kind of gets overlooked a lot. Um, but now, in conjunction with what's going on in Ohio and some other states, you think we can finally push that across the table and get some eyes on it? I think so. And in addition to what's going on in Ohio, and as for many of you who may or may not be following what's going on in the other states, Ohio um, not only presented their data um, earlier in the year, but their Auditor General submitted a, a damning report on the actions of the PBMs. Um, in addition to that, the head of Medicaid ordered the managed care organizations to uh, terminate the current contracts, and that kind of got a little convoluted with how that was reported in the press. It didn't mean that they were stripping the contracts away from them. What they were ordered to do was take everything from a spread pricing model 
to a trans open and transparent model. And so that will start on January 1, which should provide a lot more openness, and I bet they see a significant change in how reimbursements are handled um, as the data is, a, is completely clear on how it's, it's flowing down. In addition, Pennsylvania's Auditor General has been doing a roadshow throughout um, the state over the last month and has been having um, conversations in depth with um, not only um, uh, pharmacies, but other healthcare providers and with patient groups and how patients are being affected in Pennsylvania. So this will, this is starting to pull back the curtain and will hopefully get us the light shined on onto um, the situation like we've never seen before. And, you know, a lot of uh, focus has been on our state legislation that we're pushing through, which encompasses several key aspects of, uh, you know, uh, protecting the profession and moving forward in, in what we want to do. But something that is, uh, I don't know, kind of overlooked in the last few days, if you're not paying attention because of all the all the television coverage that's going on with a certain uh, background history check and uh, appointment hearing that's going on, you may have not noticed that we passed two very large bills federally. Um, so on that federal side, we got good news that two gag clause bills finally passed the House, and it passed unanimously by voice vote, which is pretty unheard of for the, the magnitude of what we're talking about. And it really solidifies all those tweets we see from the Trump camp about put, putting the pressure on the PBMs. Don't you think? Well, I'm not sure about tweets, but it definitely <laughs> continues to put pressure onto the ongoing situation. As you know, the administration um, back in, in April and early May ordered CMS to take a significant and die, a, a deep dive into how drug pricing is impacting um, the citizens specifically in access and under Medicare. Um, Many pharmacy organizations, including ourselves, signed on to a joint letter um, with all of the state associations in conjunction with NCPA in submitting detailed comments uh, to CMS. Um, we're hoping, and GAT clauses was one of the um, issues that was brought forward, and we're glad to see that that was already um, decided to be moved um, in Congress. As we know, nothing ever really quickly happens in Congress, and this has come through. Um, as, as you know, we've been working on a number of issues on a federal level for more than four or five years and barely gotten a committee hearing, and we've got this um, out of both chambers and on its way to President Trump. Um, and President Trump has um, hinted at that he will sign, the, uh, sign this legislation. So at least under Medicare Part D, we will no longer have the prohibition that pharmacists cannot tell um, our, our senior citizens what the best and cheapest options are for their medications. We will no longer be contractually prohibited from doing our jobs. And uh, it's, it's really sad that we ever got to that situation in the first place. And we're glad to see that Congress has decided to say enough's enough. And, you know, something that can be uh, kind of deciphered through all of that is that from a two-pronged approach, we've got our state legislation, our state efforts that we're pushing for for certain certain aspects, and we've got our federal efforts that are pushing for a different set of aspects, and there's some overlap, and, and there's not, and with both going on simultaneously, you know, the, the future actually looks good, pretty good for us right now. Uh, a lot of eyes are being focused in the right places, a lot of information's coming out at the right times, and as long as we keep pushing and we keep the pressure on, and, you know, hopefully the legislators will 
have an unbiased eye on what we're trying to put in front of them, then you know we might really be able to make some 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 good transitions in in the in the near future, and and uh, you know take what was a bleak past few years and turn that upside down and make a professional pharmacy a you know something we can tell our children to follow in our footsteps again. Because by God, I'm a little afraid right now in that little aspect, but hopefully we'll be heading the right direction. So I want to make sure we've talked about the six important dates. So I want to make sure that everyone knows them. Um, November 13th through the 15th. So the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before the week of Thanksgiving. And then the 27th through the 29th, which is, which is the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday after the week of Thanksgiving. So that's when uh, Speaker Madigan and President Cullerton have decided what veto session will be this year. Now, one thing to keep in mind this doesn't regulate them to be there the full six days. We have known them to end veto session early. Um, so I would say that we have at least four solid days, maybe five of the veto session. So in addition to what we'll be working with, with the managed Medicaid bill, um, also we will be working with Representative Musman. She is determined to move House Bill uh, 274 out of the House and get it through the Senate. And as you remember, that's our um, increasing contraceptive access bill. And for uh, when I want the membership to take a look at that bill, take contraceptives out of it and just put that on the table for a minute. And look what we're trying to do with the bill. We're trying, in the language that would be in there it, when it passes, it will recognize pharmacists for um, per, uh, per, uh, performing a patient assessment and a patient consult. And that would be recognized under both private insurance and most importantly under Medicaid. And it, that would be at the, at the uh, federal uh, rate, which would be 85% of what a physician would get. So this gets a state level provider status. Now, of course, we've got the political grenade of contraceptives attached to it. If this was smoking cessation, this bill would have sailed through and nobody would look twice at it. But right now, we're going to, we're, the door is open with contraception. This is needed in Illinois. 52% of all pregnancies in Illinois are considered to be unintended. And Medicaid population and um, actually all populations need to have greater access to hormonal contraception. And remember the bill would allow a pharmacist to do an assessment for um, both the oral tablets, the vaginal ring, and the transdermal patch. It would allow us to, on a, based on a statewide standing order, write a prescription for those um, product items, th those items of choice. And we would have to consult on all dosage, uh, on all contraceptive methods to the patient. And we'd be able to bill for that time. So it would actually be considered like a level one. And depending on the patient's um, contraindications or disease states, it could be at least uh, as, as high as a level two patient visit. So these are significant dollars that we're talking about that, ph that pharmacists would be able to be reimbursed for their time, which as we know, we get, we've talked about it earlier today, we give way too much away, away for free and we have to stop doing that. And this would allow us to not just put a foot into the door for provider status, it would allow us to kick it wide open because then we can start adding on additional disease states and patient care services year after year. 
And you did use the right word by using the word grenade because if you think about it, you know, somebody is, this is a line that somebody is either on one side or on the other when you're talking to legislators and there's no middle ground really. So when we get to the point that we convince them that this is good and this is not, you know, something they need to stay away from with a 10-foot pole, uh, you're right. It, it kicks that door open, uh, knocks it down completely for all the other things that we want to do. So, you know, we just need to band together and push this through and make sure that they understand all the valuable good points and all the services that we can and should be providing uh, as pharmacists in our community to take care of our patient health. And that's what this boils down to. And once we open that door, all the other doors fall open behind it. So, um, you know, once again, I can't reiterate enough. We got a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, we can't wait until those six days in November to get started on all this. We have to get started early. We have to be calling our legislators. We have to get them in our stores. We have to show them the value we provide to our communities. That's, that is what this boils down to. Because because once we are gone, that value we're providing goes with it. And we have to show the legislators that exact point. Would you agree? I agree. Okay. What other uh, points do you want to bring up here that before we take our little quick break? Well, again, as been, as been uh, stated, we will be starting to send out communications and bullet points um, within the next week out to the membership. So whenever you do have your store visits, um, you'll know what points we want to make sure that you cover. And we'll have some do's and don'ts in there. Um, as we always talk about when we're meeting with legislators, we'll, we will review those tomorrow, actually, during the keynote on the law update. Um, but I do want everyone to remember, every one of your senators and representatives are just normal human beings. I know we give them a, an elevated status, um, but they are trying to understand our issue. Pharmacy, let alone all of healthcare is extremely difficult for legislators to understand. None of our issues are simple. Um, as the saying goes, if you have to talk for more than five, 15, 15 seconds on an issue, you're losing. We need 15 minutes just to set the foundation before we can talk about the issue at hand. So do take that time when they come into your store. Make sure they understand if you need uh, um, an officer from the association or myself, we will make sure that someone is there to help you because we want to make sure that we win this fight and it's going to take all of us to do it. That is absolutely right. And we are all in this together. So like he said, you've got a friend in the IPHA office, so use it. Uh, we can be that lifeline. There's several people who have offered to step up to the plate and help people out. If you want to have somebody by your side uh, with an office visit, if you want to have somebody in your office or in your store and, and you just have never done that before and just scares you to death, call us. We'll calm you down. It's not that big of a deal. We'll make it happen. Uh, and hopefully we can might maybe get somebody in there with you to, to help guide you through the day because it really isn't that big of a deal. There's a lot of anxiety. A lot of people are scared to talk to their legislators. But once you do it a time or two, you'll realize it's no big deal. And it really is just talking from the heart. This is something that you're in a profession you care about, you're passionate about. Just show them that. And that makes all the world of a difference. So with that, we're going to take a uh, quick little break here and uh, not too long, just a minute or two. And we will be right back to answer all those burning questions that you have.
Hello, I am Ben Calcaterra, and I want to let you know just how important it is to hold a membership in the Illinois Pharmacists Association. The Illinois Pharmacists Association stands up for all pharmacists across the state, from community to health system, academia to long-term care. Your membership will strengthen the efforts of the entire association. Consider joining today to gain valuable insights and updates about news and events affecting the profession of pharmacy in the state of Illinois. To gain educational opportunities such as CPEs and certificate training programs, or to help advocate to protect the abilities of pharmacists to practice in the best way they possibly can. Stand up for your profession, stand up for your state, and stand up for your patients. Join today. Call the office today or log on to IPHA.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IL Pharmacists. That's plural with the S, IL Pharmacists. Okay, welcome back to the Illinois Farm Talk. Um, we were going to do a little question and answer session uh, with our live audience. Before we get to that, we actually have a special guest to the microphone. We're going to talk to Lauren Balwig, who is a P4 student from SIUE and is currently on rotation with Starlin in the IPHA office. And we want to kind of delve into what it's been like and, and what brought her here and what she thinks the rotation's like. Well... Um, so I'll kind of start out by saying this is the third year that I've been at IPHA um, annual um, conference. I started out being involved with my ASP chapter at SIUE, um, and I kind of um, I drank the Kool-Aid that Dr. Kerr and um, everybody within um, the SIUE community that's involved in a a IPHA um, and I've kind of been hooked ever since. Uh, I just think that this is an amazing organization. Um, we're not only impacting how pharmacists are seen to the public, but we're impacting um, legislation that is determining the way that we can provide services to our patients. And I just think that that is such an amazing thing that not many people realize actually happens. And so I um, had kind of taken that initiative and kind of kind of helped um, younger students um, or students in years uh, below me um, to kind of jump on that bandwagon and say, this is what we do and this is why you need to um, be not only involved in local chapters with um, ASP chapters in um, colleges of pharmacy, but um, local chapters like the Metro East Pharmacists Association and the Suburb Associations. Um, so just kind of starting out yeah, um, that way, um, I've kind of um, have developed a passion for diabetes and chronic uh, disease states. Um, and so that has kind of turned into um, my interest in within APHA and IPHA, um, the different programs that we offer there, um, 
Yeah, so that's kind of a little bit of background. What was the question that you asked me? <laughs> <laughs> Easy to forget when you're on mic, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Uh, just just kind of, you, you mentioned about the development and, and, and what has led to where you are today, but yes. talk a little bit about the rotation itself. What, you know, if you were to talk to a student that's signing up for rotations next year, what would you tell them the day-to-day -day rotations like as far as trying to give them an idea of the experience that you're getting? So tell me if I'm wrong, Garth, but I believe my experience within IPHA rotation has been a little different from some of the past um, students. So um, it kind of depends, I believe, on when you ha are um, in your rotation. So um, I kind of geared my rotations towards more in the spring or not in spring, <laughs> I'm sorry, the fall, um, because I'd kind of seen that legislative point of view, and that was more of where the focus is in the in the springtime, is um, working on legislation and talking to legislators and kind of that back, background there. Um, and I kind of wanted to see what else IPHA offered um, with some of the programs that they do and the grants that um, Starlin's been involved in. Um, that kind of piqued my interest a lot. And so that's kind of why I chose, kind of leaned more towards the fall aspect. But I know there are several um, P3 students right now at SIUE that are texting me saying, what do you think, what do you think? And I honestly think that everybody should do an association um, rotation, whether it be um, at a state level or a national level, um, I know there's rotations at APHA that um, some of the other students, um, Marilyn Gask did one, I believe. Um, and I just think that it's important for us to kind of see the background um, of the different aspects that not only legislative, but different ways that pharmacists can be involved in our communities. Because as kind of like a non-denominational pharmacy group, you have consultant pharmacists, you have hospital pharmacists, community pharmacists, compounding pharmacists, and there's so many different ways that you can get plugged in through the, com the pharmacy community. And I don't think you get that very many other places. So I would 10 out of 10 would recommend doing an IPHA rotation. Um, but my rotation specifically, I was able to go to um, the American Diabetes Educators Conference in Baltimore. Um, another student from Stillcop and I went with Starlin. Um, and that was truly a different experience for me. Um, I'd never been to an interprofessional conference before. So that was kind of um, a little eye-opening. Uh, there's definitely some different opinions, and um, it was really cool to see the different aspects of care from different healthcare professionals. Um, and besides physicians, like nurses and registered dietitians and all that. So that was definitely um, a unique experience that I got to um, be a part of. Um, I have attended um, the Illinois Board of Pharmacy uh, meeting with Garth and some task force meetings, several conference calls. Um, so it's kind of just cool to see what's going on outside of regular like guideline updates and things like that. So. It's definitely been something that I will never regret. Um, just learning different things, meeting different people, um, and just kind of getting plugged in more towards the pharmacy community. 
Well, I would say that anybody on rotation with Starlin uh, would definitely be qualified as a unique rotation. Uh, we all know how that probably went, and I'm, I'm sure that you're going to benefit from that for years to come. Um, and speaking of which, you, you said that you found a passion for diabetes and chronic disease state management. What are you looking to do? Um, using this rotation or not using this rotation? What's, what's your plan? Well, um, I'm kind of in between a couple of different things that I want to do. Um, I have worked in community pharmacy at a county market pharmacy in Springfield um, and I actually love my job I love interacting with patients um, but I also want to not only just hand them their medications and say okay this is what your doctor told you and go through that counseling but I want to be able to say okay what are your thoughts on this and kind of get the patients more involved so ideally I want to do um, something with diabetes education. I'm really um, considering getting my CDE certification and all of that. Um, but I really do have a passion for community pharmacy. And um, I think there's sometimes there's a lot of stigma with that. But, you know, we are the kind of the front lines. And I'll give an example. Um, I was at work one day and a an elderly woman came to us and she had been experiencing some dizziness and she was taking some um, diphenhydramine for itching. She went to the physician the next day and came back to us um, with a prescription for the same medication that was making her dizzy. She didn't tell her provider that she was having dizziness from that medication, but she told a pharmacist. Right. So there's definitely a, a point of impact that pharmacies in the community can have, um, and I I, like I said, it's just one of my passions, and I, I feel like um, I can have a bigger impact in a community pharmacy where I can sit with the patient and, well, not necessarily sit because we don't really sit in community pharmacy, <laughs> um, but kind of sit with a patient and figure out what their needs are and how you can help them best accomplish what they want to accomplish with their health needs and their medications. Um, and all of that. <laughs> well, you definitely set yourself up well with your uh, educational background, the experiences that you're getting now on this rotation to make all those dreams come true. And we wish you the best of luck with all that. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast show. <laughs> And as we transition here, being at IPHA conference gives us the unique opportunity of bringing in some random uh, special guests here. So, for sure. Yeah. This so, on the as, uh, as we uh, have just finished interviewing Lauren, we now get to interview our incoming president uh, tomorrow night, actually, Lauren Lacari. Hi, Lauren. Thanks, past president. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. This is, this is really exciting. It's a big step for our association to have podcast capabilities and live streaming it is it's pretty neat we like it and uh, hopefully we can keep this uh, going as long as we keep our audience in, involved here and we, we want to thank our audience for being here um, so Laura what are you excited about this coming year I really cannot believe that this is the weekend that I get to start my presidency year it's very exciting it's been a long time coming 
I have a very long speech prepared tomorrow to talk about it, so I'll try not to give too much away, but this has really been eight years in the making for me, and most of that I think we've been on the board together during right. that time. Garth has been my executive director during that time, so I feel very uh, supported and excited about this next year. But I actually wanted to ask you what tips you had that made your presidency year successful. Now, you had a lot of legislation I that did. was being ramped up, and I think we're going to have that this year with 3479 coming back into session, coming back through committee. What tips would you give me for this year? so that I consider it a successful year and the association considers it a successful year and its members. Well, welcome to our new section of the podcast, Interview the Interviewer. There you go. No, um, I, you know, the biggest thing that I learned and I slowly, you know, you learn this as a regional director and moving up into the executive committee and all the years that I've been there is listen and listen and listen. And, you know, you're not a one-man show, although you are definitely... Um, looked upon as that, but you've got a whole board behind you. You've got Garth and the staff uh, there to support you and uh, past presidents who you'll find out tomorrow have a lot of wisdom to pass down the road. Um, but, but listening, um, the membership, which we have done a, a great job of boosting our membership numbers in the past few years and getting them more involved and in, in, in sync with us, right? Um, thanks a lot to Laura and, and her uh, role on the membership committee in the past few years but you know it is a membership association and we have to listen to our membership just like you tell legislators listen to your constituents is exactly what we're doing we're listening to our constituents and uh you know lean heavily on garth although he needs to lean heavily on us and i think he he definitely does that but we all work together to make this association run and that's the best advice I can give you is don't consider yourself a one-man show, but use all the resources you have available to you. That is great advice that I will take, and I will call you on the phone a lot to take you up on that offer. Did I um, tell you I changed my number? No, you didn't. No, I'll find you. So I think that is a really good point, and I think part of what I want to strike a balance is that this is – a membership association, right? We will only have a membership if we have members in that association. Um, would not be really fun if it was just me. So I want to make sure that I'm meeting everyone's needs and hearing everyone's concerns and also driving our association forward. So just feels like a lot to balance that I'm excited about. But then to your it's a volunteer, so I don't want to rely too heavy on the volunteers and them giving a lot of their personal time. So I, I feel a little bit trying to find that balance between I do feel responsible for a lot of what is going to happen the next year and not asking too much of our membership. But I think there are a lot of people who want to be more involved. They don't know how to be more involved. If you're listening, please contact me at Laura LaCary farmd at gmail.com and feel free to share any of your thoughts with me okay so you heard it here she wants your input <laughs> she'll be waiting uh you know laura one thing that i have characterized you over the years and uh have really appreciated is the energy you bring to the association and uh, nobody can doubt that for sure 
Have you thought about how to make that infectious down the down you know downstream to the board to the membership and get everybody a dose of that that energy that you have? So you are not the first person to comment on my enthusiastic nature, to say the least. And the reason that I feel people react positively to my enthusiasm and energy is because of IPHA directly. So trying to break this down, it's a positive feedback circle. When you're with a group of people that you really love and you really connect on issues that are important in your practice and they think it's important in their practice and then you get to talk about it in person and collaborate, that energizes me. So then I'm able to take that and move it forward. So I think people get into a negative feedback cycle where they don't join an association, they don't come, they're not on a committee, they feel detached, and then they feel even further away from their passion. Then a couple more years go by and still stagnant in your employer position in your job and you feel even further removed from your colleagues. And so I would encourage everyone to attend an IPHA meeting here in Lombard if you want to spend a Saturday with us tomorrow, next year in Springfield, I guarantee you will feel that energy and feel that connectedness and that builds upon itself. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And uh, one thing that I have noticed is there's a lot of the section of the membership that don't feel necessarily like they have the ability to step up and join a committee or make themselves available and they you know they sometimes wait for that call instead of making the call themselves and we would definitely I think you can join me in saying call ask you know we want your input we want your time you know not saying that we want all of your time but if you're willing to give it we will gladly take it we have plenty of uh, uh, places for your input right I would absolutely agree with that and it doesn't take a lot of time it's more organized time right we try to have committee meetings that are convenient for everyone depending your schedule at any one time 50% of our membership is working first or second shift or working the weekends so we know better than anyone your time is not just nine to five every day so we are willing to find a balance wherever you feel you want to make a commitment and I just feel so passionately that if you make that commitment it benefits you tenfold in your revisiting why you went to pharmacy school and why you're a pharmacist, really practicing at the top of your profession. Excellent. Well, I can tell you I'm really looking forward to the next year having you as president, um, witnessing all that energy flowing downstream, like I alluded to earlier, and uh, it's sure to be an exciting year. So I hope not too exciting. Well, let's keep 3479 going. Let's pass oral contraceptive prescribing, and that'll be enough excitement. <laughs> Hopefully, we can get those accomplished for you. So, uh, thank, you. thank you, thank you, Laura, and good luck with the next year. Thank you very much. Okay. So with that, we will uh, return to our previously scheduled section here of the podcast, and we'll open the mic up. We'll have a mic in the middle of the room here. If anybody has any questions for Garth or I, uh, legislation, uh, IPHA matters, anything, by all means, come on up and ask away. 
couple questions. Write them down. I'll go real quick, and then you can answer them. A couple for Ben, one for uh, Garth as well. First of all, Ben, how important do you think uh, reporting the MCO abuses, problems, I know you're good at it. I've seen a couple of the things you sent in on the hotline uh, telling the, the, the legislators or the overseers the problems that are occurring. If they don't know about those problems, they're not going to fix them. So I think it's critical to do that. If you could talk about that for a second. Garth, um, could you uh, tell us an update on, you know, we have an emergency fund. I think we nicknamed it the Critical Access Fund for pharmacies to try to help through this transition period. Uh, rulemakers are trying to drag their feet on it. I think if it's an emergency fund, it's an emergency. It needs to be treated that way. If there's anything we can do to help, I'd like to know that. And then if 30, when 3479 does pass, who's going to enforce it? And can we, uh, when is, the, is, is it going to be time to make sure those people realize that they will have a big job ahead of them to make that have some teeth? Let me go first. Okay. So uh, as Gary alluded to earlier, the MCO complaint portal that we have as one of our top links on the website, IPHA.org, uh, will link you directly to the HFS website that allows you to report a complaint uh, about an MCO. And a little background about the reporting process before I get into the importance of it. Um, the procedure is sometimes missed. Uh, so what we want to make sure of is the situation would be a patient has an issue at your pharmacy with an, an MCO, uh, whether the drug's not covered, they're having access issues, um, formulary problem, whatever it may be. Uh, let's just say random patient A comes in and needs a Lantus filled, but there's some step formula, formulary issue or um, whatever happens, the patient does not walk out of the store with that medicine. Now, you can't just call up HFS or, or go to the website site and, and file a complaint. You have to make an attempt to allow the MCO a chance to rectify that situation. So you would have to call them, give them the issue, ask them what the steps are in the procedures, preferably request some sort of override or um, some, some mechanism that they would get that patient medicine. And then if whatever you're working on fails, you, they have not satisfied the requirement that the patient get be given the correct access then you go to the website you file the complaint on the on the form fill out all of the required boxes give a narrative of of what the the the, the issue was how it was handled um, preferably who you talk to when you talk to because hfs has the ability to go back and listen to all those recorded phone calls and they will know exactly what the situation is now, straight to the point that you were asking the question of how is it or why is it important or is it important? And absolutely, it is. Um, you know, if if we don't make these complaints, uh, you know, eventually some of those patients are going to have a prior authorization and get the medicine, and the patient may three days later have their problem rectified. But that doesn't help HFS or the department realize that the MCOs are having those issues. So if we don't file the complaints, we're almost telling HFS everything's good. You know, we have no problems. We have nothing to report. So if we're not reporting complaints, they don't know what our problems are. And, and that is why it is so very important that when you have these issues, even if they're rectified, 
after the fact, before they're rectified, you need to send that complaint in and let HFS know these are the issues we are having so that they can see the trends, they can see what the problems are that they can step in and fix. So when we go to the department, when we go to the, the Senate hearing, when we go back to the House in November after we pass the Senate, we can say, look, there were a thousand complaints to the MCOs that they cannot provide access to their patients. Without those numbers, without that data, we can't, we can't eloquently provide a case to say that they have problems. So uh, I hope that answers the question to, to, to provide a, a, a subject to these hearings to say these are issues we're having. We have to actually report those issues or else how will anybody know? How, how will they get fixed? So if you have anything to add to that. Um, couple things on your questions with the critical access um, pharmacies fund we've, we've continued to work with uh, Medicaid over the last uh, couple months trying to get this implemented as ex expeditedly as possible because as you said Gary we have pharmacies that are bleeding and th they need these funds to be able to help them um, have a sustainable accessible practice uh, and we knew that the funds uh, weren't going to be a complete um, stopping the bleeding of the, of the wound, but it will slow the bleeding. Um, we had meetings at the end of August where uh, Medicaid was working on the administrative rules because as you remember in the um, language that got put into the budget, the, this whole $10 million that was put in for critical access care pharmacies was a uh, part of the, the entire budget package. And we were able to get $10 million. We were the only healthcare provider to get any type of relief funding. And that's one thing that's very important. And that's due to Senator Menard's um, budget negotiations and making sure that we got that. And we owe him a lot for that. Um, but as to HFS, they are, they have um, put rules together. We worked with them to um, uh, try to clarify some of the rules. Um, I'm looking at them published right now. They came out in the Flynn report today, so we haven't had a full time to analyze them. Um, we did provide some additional um, language that I'm hoping was in there that would expand what the number of pharmacies that would be able to um, apply under this. We were told that hopefully this month we would have an application process through the Medi portal for pharmacies to be able to start now they're still dragging their feet on that what i'm asking now is who can they just start sending an email address to and having staff take care of this so we can start the process they have the data we really had to wait almost to the end of august anyway because they're going to be basing the data off how many medicaid uh, managed medicaid prescriptions you dispense per quarter and so we had to wait for the april of the the second quarter data to come in and it takes about a full month after the quarter before they get it so this is really the time where they can start addressing what the General Assembly um, put through in the budget and the governor signed and the governor ordered his departments to implement. And um, we've um, thankfully had support from Senator Menar, Senator Staines, and Representative Greg Harris. Um, jointly put a letter to um, 
acting director uh, and former state representative and Republican leader Patty Belloc, who is now the acting director of HFS, um, asking why this is taking so long. So it's nice that the General Assembly is backing us up and providing that additional support, and it kind of has had helped get this moving a little bit further down the road. So with the, with the rules being submitted, it does not look like they were submitted as emergency rules, which we had requested. So it will probably take to the end of the year for these part of the rules to get implemented. Now, the rules these were addressing were for the for pharmacies that were in communities of 50,000 um, population or more. So there's no reason why pharmacies that are in, in communities of 50,000 or less should not be receiving funding today. And that's what we're continuing to put pressure on. The Illinois Retail Merchants Association is working very closely with us to continue to, to tighten the screws on this so we can try to get these funds released. Um, when 3479 gets passed, there's going to be um, a couple of different departments, at least in the current version, that would have authority. With the PBMs being registered, it would be they would be responsible under the Department of Insurance. Now, there was a lot of data that was being asked for in, the, in, in 3479, and that would mean that the Department of Insurance would have a lot of general oversight um, over that data as well, as long, along with HFS. And because it brought in the state employee program, it would also mean that state CMS, Central Management Services, uh, which is the state's HR department, would also have um, purview over House Bill 3479. So it does bring in a lot of different departments, but the biggest one here is that the Department of Insurance has to finally start recognizing that pharmacy benefit managers are part of the insurance scheme and that they have a regulatory responsibility to do their job. We've seen a lot of insurance legislation get passed that has implied to um, impact pharmacy benefit managers over the years. I mean, we can use the example of the eyedrop bill that we had a couple years ago that said that there would be no issues with early, early um, refills, and we still have issues with that. There was uniform prior authorization bill. Well, we've got another uniform prior authorization bill with a task force to implement the previous enacted law that's going through the General Assembly right now that's probably going to pass. So it's really the Department of Insurance, the ball's in their court to do their responsibility to the governor's office and ultimately to the people of Illinois. Great answers, great questions. Uh, next one on the roll, anybody else have a question for Garth or I? Don't be shy. Dig deep, <laughs> dig deep, anything goes at this point. Um, if not, we're going to be forced to just keep talking and talking, and I know they don't want that to happen. So, okay, question to the mic. When we're having, when you're saying having people into the pharmacy, are you saying also have the people that are running for the the spot? You could bring in um, opposition candidates into the store. Um, I would or like, focus what more on the current elected official because they're going to be the one voting on the veto session in November. Okay. Um, if if you have the opportunity to bring in an opposition candidate, you can do that. Um, but I really would focus on the elected official at this point. Um, but if you have those partnerships already and those relationships already established, yes, go ahead and start bringing them in and educate them. Um, 
we've been brought in to talk with um, opposition candidates um, all the way up to some of the congressional races on issues impacting health care. And so it's we, we don't know how those those um, results are going to uh, total out at the end of the day, but we're doing what we can as an advocacy organization to be able to provide that information as we would anyone who is an elected official. So, and that's kind of how I would look at that from your point of view, but I would really focus on who's the elected seated representative or senator right now. And who knows, if you bring in the opposition, maybe you, you know, bring a case up to them strong enough that they think it's a big enough issue, they bring it up in a debate or part of their their platform and, and help bring it to the forefront, you know, whether they get elected or not, you know, it, they might not be the one voting in November, but they will still help get some visibility out there. And that's, you know, that's the important thing right Absolutely. now. So whoever, whomever you can get in front of you to talk to, I think at this point is going to be critical, but definitely the focus would be those November votes. Yep. Great question. Great question. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody else? Um, questions are rolling in good. We like that. Uh, seeing none. What? Oh, yeah, we got another one. I missed if you said you were hoping the birth control bill would pass in the veto session as well. Yes. Or, okay. And so with that going forward, you think that will roll right into point of care testing? We're hoping or? so. There's going to be a lot of issues. Um, as um, Lauren had talked about, one of the meetings that she attended with me was the Collaborative Pharmaceutical Task Force. And as you recall, um, that got established because of the pharmacy workload legislation that got proposed last year. So we're meeting every second Tuesday of the month right now. And um, we're looking at a lot of those issues that were addressed in that legislation, the 16 items we had to look at. But we put on the table the entire Pharmacy Practice Act and the scope of pharmacy practice. And one of the issues that we want to talk about that, that I brought up back in January was not only medication administration, pharmacist prescribing, but also looking at patient you know, point of care testing because the department kind of ruled about a year or two ago that it's really a gray area. Uh, we wholeheartedly disagree with the ruling of that attorney. Um, that attorney's no longer there. Um, but it's because right now in the Illinois Pharmacy Practice Act, it states that under a standing order between a physician and a pharmacist, you can provide any service that's a pay pharmacist care service that's agreed upon by the physician and the pharmacist. And under pharmacist, the definition of pharmacist provided care, that lists everything that's included under MTM, which would include point of care testing. So we don't understand why the departments took such a closeted viewpoint on that. And we know that it stopped some programs, um, but we also know that there are other programs that continue to exist. Um, so again, uh, we're not an attorney. Um, we, we do play them on TV. And uh, exactly. <laughs> um, but I do recommend getting counsel if you do continue to do that and um, look at um, how you want to be able to best provide those services for your patients. Um, in addition, one of the topics uh, that we brought up at the Collaborative Pharmaceutical Task Force um, this past uh, meeting in September was uh, I brought up that we need to look at language in the Pharmacy Practice Act that would prohibit a pharmacist from providing, dispensing medication or providing any patient care service that was under their, their, um, their acquisition costs or under their business costs. 
And there was a lot of immediate resistance to that from some members of the task force, including the department representatives. Um, but we kindly pointed back out to them that there is already language that talks about cost in the Pharmacy Practice Act that's been in there since 1987. And it was specifically talking about whenever we had um, used to be able to be prohibited from discussing what um, advertising what medications cost. But this language still exists and is still valid that said that manufacturers and distributors are prohibited from selling medication at cost or below their cost. It doesn't describe who distributors are, and that's a question we're looking at right now as well. But we're looking at language. Um, actually, um, Dean Emeritus uh, Jerry Bauman um, volunteered to help um, me work on language because since the task force is an open meetings act um, group, uh, we can't have more uh, subcommittees more than two because once there's three of us, it's, it's considered an open meeting. And we would have to publish it and the agenda and, and all these other wonderful requirements. So we work in very small groups and then share the information out and then you know provide recommendations back at our monthly meetings. So we will be looking at language to be proposed in the main Pharmacy Practice Act revision bill next year. That's why I'm hoping we get 3479 done, hopefully get 274 done, because we've got a major bill coming this next year with getting the Practice Act re revised and renewed. Um, because we're looking at what we want pharmacy practice to be in 2028. And we did a great job in 2007 the last time we did this, and we're going to do it again this time around as well. Well, with that, uh, do you have any, you got a question? Yes, great. On a federal level, what's the status of, uh, in Congress, of the bill to make pharmacists uh, recognize as healthcare professionals? Provider status. Yes, question. provider status. Uh, great, great question, John. Um, we have H.R. 592 and Senate um, S-109. Um, H.R. 592, I believe, and we'll be talking a little bit more in, um, about it tomorrow at the law update, um, I think has like 290 co-sponsors, so well over half the House. Again, there's no reason it should not be getting a committee mm -hmm. hearing. Um, and actually, all of our representatives, but two of them, are signed on. And some of the biggest opponents to our bill um, in the past have signed on. And so that's a huge step forward for us uh, because some of the hardcore fiscal conservatives that were against pharmacist provider status because of a presumed higher cost have actually signed on to the bill. On the Senate side, it's been kind of stagnant. I think we're still in the 60s uh, co-sponsors, but again, it's over half the Senate. So we have over half of both chambers supporting our bill and we can't get it to move out of committee. And it's it's... It's one of those issues that we continue to have um, significant um, concern about because of the Congressional Budget Office. The Congressional Budget Office continues to talk about how they believe that it's going to be a high cost. and But the problem is they have to look at, at the way the bill is designed. It only discusses Medicare Part B for medically underserved populations. So when the CBO does their analysis, they can only look at the, the impact of Medicare Part B for the medically underserved populations. It won't show how we're decreasing readmission and admission rates under Part A and how we would be uh, um, impacting costs and hopefully overall in the positive under Part D. So it's, it's hard because they're looking at it and they're falsely looking at it as all new cost. 
instead of looking at it going, we're going to be helping replace costs, but we because we have a shortage of providers in this country. We don't have enough physicians and enough PAs and enough nurse practitioners, and pharmacists are going to be filling those gaps that are existing now in Medicare, and that will help bring that cost down and help bring the overall cost of Medicare down. And that's what the national groups, that's what NASPA is doing, that's what all the states are doing um, as we're continuing to have discussions with our congressman and with um, Senator Durbin and Senator Duckworth, who Duckworth um, has signed on as a co-sponsor. Senator Durbin has not renewed his um, um, co-sponsorship, but it doesn't mean he's not supportive of the bill. He's very much supportive of provider status and getting pharmacists recognized. So I don't know if we're going to have any movement on that bill before the end of the year, because just like with the Illinois General Assembly, um, Congress changes over and we start a whole new Congress and a whole new General Assembly. So all the bill numbers, got to, we have to start all over again. We were really hoping, and I know um, APHA and NCPA who've been really helping steer a lot of the strategy on this, they were hoping to get a, get um, provider status attached to some of the opioid language that was moving through and hoping that could have been the anchor we could um, attach our ship to and it just didn't work out. So I know that they're quickly, they're, they're not letting it die. They're, they're still trying to find ways as Congress is still in session and it's an election year and seeing if we could still get it attached to something moving. So it's, it's still something to watch. Great question. Uh, seeing no more questions, walking to the mic, we've got a few moments left here and we'd like to uh, bring to the mic uh, another guest as, you know, being here at conference, we have the ability to bring whoever we choose to uh, <laughs> horrify at this microphone That's here. Right. So uh, as much as she was not looking forward to this, we suffered her <laughs> into being on the mic. And I present to you now our outgoing president, yes. Dr. Jessica Kerr. So welcome to the microphone. <laughs> so Jess, how would you say your year's been? Um, it has been a great learning experience, uh, fun to get to know a lot of the pharmacists around the state. I know you and I kind of, we joked last year how we thought it was going to be very quiet, legislative-wise, and I thought, oh, I might have gotten out of this a little bit, but it was very fun to get and see all of the testimonies and all of the passion that a lot of the um, pharmacists around the state, including the independent groups that readily, you know, rose up to get some... Um, excitement and some activity going on with the several bills that we had going on so yeah it was definitely exciting here wasn't it was it, it was very fun so uh we had laura on earlier okay. our uh, incoming president and, and she asked me for a bit of advice on her upcoming year and without hearing what i said let's let's hear what advice you would have for laura in her her next year as president um, I know how during the reception, you know, we all get in a line and, and show um, our support with each other and kind of providing recommendations for the year, but it's truly is, it's, it's welcoming to know you come into this role and you kind of have your ideas of what you think might be able um, to be utilized and your skill sets and everything, but what really has been interesting is just using the pool of skills and um, passions that are, are just in the past presidents, let alone everyone else. So I would say to definitely utilize the resources that are there. Um, and the staff that we have at IPHA, I can't, I, I don't know how an office of three plus Garth gets it all done. Um, and so, you know, sometimes when things might be a little bit on 
the slower side, they have to prioritize things. And they're prioritizing things that's going to be the best for the state of Illinois as practicing pharmacists, but also their patients. Um, so I think the biggest thing is, is to enjoy the, the time that you have. Try to make your mark with your skill set. Don't try to create a new skill set that you don't have or that you don't feel the confidence is there because you've got all of the past experience that's willing to help you. Well, so. when Laura hears this later, she will uh, hear that you said exactly the same thing oh, I said. Okay, good. That's great. Good thing we didn't talk before. <laughs> that works out well, doesn't it? Um, so let's talk about the future now. We talked about the last year. Is there anything that you've, you felt that you've left undone, that, that you started, that you want to continue, that you want to push further? Sure. Um, you know, you still got... Time. So what do you yeah, think? I mean, my whole goal for this year was to go back to the foundation that IPHA is and to try to create some um, even stronger base in that foundation. So in my mind, this year was more of a building component. Um, and then I readily involved Laura uh, this whole year, even as far as last year of when I was selecting committee members, because I think just the continuity in the organization is needed. Um, we need to make sure that newer members and even current members know that we need their help. Um, and so if we have that background and then those that are interested in getting involved, that's what's really gonna be helpful. So this year we were able to, to start a couple initiatives. Some of them will be launched um, throughout the uh, meeting this year um, from a membership committee. That's always kind of what we always talk about is membership, membership, membership. Um, but what we decided to do was to kind of employ the schools of pharmacy in our Ignite to Excite campaign, which was a soft launch that was in March with some of the schools trying to go out and um, capture their recent graduates or pharmacists that they work with and those type of things. And we did see, I don't have the final numbers on that, but we did see some increase in that March through August. And then starting from this meeting up until next August, an official um, kind of a profit sharing um, relationship with the school um, student organizations will occur so if the students are able to get members based off of how many memberships they get um, then the organization will also fund back into some of their patient care projects and community involvement even just for their own professional development I think that that's helpful for the fact that we want the students to come back to us um, but we also need for them to realize the importance that they have to go out and they have to be the future of pharmacy. Um, and they also need to understand that we're working for their future of pharmacy. So um, we started to do that and hopefully next year we will end up having um, and being able to announce some of the schools that were able to attain those goals. And then there's a slight little healthy competition between all of the schools, whoever gets the most members then will um, kind of work with them a little bit more on some of their professional development as well. And it's great that we have, uh, or you have gotten this program going to utilize that great pool of resources we have in the students, because yeah. it's one of the largest pools of resources that we have available to us, and utilizing them in that way is, is, is great. Um, so speaking to the whole pool of membership that we have, one thing that I was uh, speaking with Laura about was getting members, um, giving them the ability or the confidence to step up to 
uh, participate yeah. committees and, and running well, what would you say well, I mean that? to me I think that's been the strongest thing that we've had going for us this year um, I was pretty diligent on how I picked the committee members knowing what people were interested in we you know released a specific poll just to find out um, what their interest is who would like to take a lead um, and so we identified those um, committee members and then what I ended up doing with all of the committee chair members was sending them a booklet called the seven um, disciplines of execution I learned about it through NCPA. It was actually an independent pharmacist that ended up increasing, or how he used it, he increased his bottom line in the pharmacy. So if you haven't read that book, it was very interesting of just how simple workflow and some other things that he did in the business changed. But he really kind of stated how it could be applied anywhere. And so I bought the book, read the book, and I was like, well, I don't want to send them a book day one and they have to read a whole book. So I sent them the cliff notes. Um, and it was really kind of fun to see the different committees come alive because I asked them to support their to document their wildly important goals, um, basically allowing the committee to do what they felt was a priority to the organization. So I think that that was helpful for us on the administrative team or the executive team to figure out and know exactly what they're doing, but it's the members working to what was important for them. Um, and so that's good. And you were on several of those committees. Um, committees that really came alive this year uh, were the um, Public Relations Committee as well as the Professional Affairs Committee. Um, they have done some cool things. Brittany will be announcing some of the things that they're going to do. We really want to just hear from the members in general, not just legislative-wise, but what are you doing around the state that's innovative and neat? And I think that there's so many of the new, um, or just members that have no idea that what they're doing is really cool. Um, and so having people nominate their peers of what they do is a nice recognition, but it's also good for the state to just see that networking that could lead to collaborations or could lead to other efforts. Absolutely. Well, it's been a, a great year. You had a great year as president, and uh, I wish you continued success in your next role as chairman of the board. Okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I was going to nominate him for chairman yeah. of the board, though. So, right. thank you, Jess. Yeah, thanks for, well, thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate it. And with that, I think that uh, we've uh, used up all of our time in this room, so we're going to have to close out here. Garth, do you have any? final words watch for the communications coming and and make sure you're getting out getting your legislators in the store it's vitally important this year and please we need your help and we will we will make this bill pass very well said very well said well uh, we want to extend our thanks to everybody out here. Thank you to our wonderful audience and to our listeners for supporting this show. Check back regularly to see new episodes as we will keep you updated on legislative matters happening around the state. You can find us on the internet, IPHA.org, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as IL Pharmacist. That's plural with the S. IL Pharmacist. Follow us today to stay in the know. That'll do it for this episode of Illinois Farm Talk. Thanks, Garth. Thank you, Ben. Stay tuned for our next episode as the Voice of Pharmacy in Illinois brings you another edition of Illinois Farm Talk. Thank you for listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast.